This is Chapter Seventy Two of Roughing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, visit LibriVox.org. Roughing It by Mark Twain. Chapter Seventy Two. In the breezy morning, we went ashore and visited the ruined temple of the last god Lono, the high chief cook of this temple, the priest who presided over it and roasted the human sacrifices was uncle to obukia and at one time that youth was an apprentice priest under him obukia was a young native of fine mind who together with three other native boys was taken to new england by the captain of a whale-ship during the reign of kamehameha i and they were the means of attracting the attention of the religious world to their country this resulted in the sending of missionaries there and this obukia was the very same sensitive savage who sat down on the church steps and wept because his people did not have the bible that incident has been very elaborately painted in many a charming sunday-school book ay and told so plaintively and so tenderly that i have cried over it in sunday-school myself on general principles although at a time when I did not know much and could not understand why the people of the Sandwich Islands needed to worry so much about it, as long as they did not know there was a Bible at all. Obukia was converted and educated, and was to have returned to his native land with the first missionaries had he lived. The other native youths made the voyage, and two of them did good service, but the third, William Kanui, fell from grace afterward, for a time, and when the gold excitement broke out in California, he journeyed thither and went to mining, although he was fifty years old. He succeeded pretty well, but the failure of Page, Bacon, and Company relieved him of six thousand dollars, and then, to all intents and purposes, he was a bankrupt in his old age, and he resumed service in the pulpit again. He died in Honolulu in 1864. Quite a broad tract of land near the temple, extending from the sea to the mountain-top, was sacred to the god Lono in olden times, so sacred that if a common native set his sacrilegious foot upon it, it was judicious for him to make his will, because his time had come. He might go around it by water, but he could not cross it. It was well sprinkled with pagan temples, and stocked with awkward, homely idols carved out of logs of wood. There was a temple devoted to prayers for rain, and with fine sagacity it was placed at a point so well up on the mountainside that if you prayed there twenty-four times a day for rain, you would be likely to get it every time. You would seldom get to your amen before you would have to hoist your umbrella. And there was a large temple near at hand which was built in a single night, in the midst of storm and thunder and rain, by the ghastly hands of dead men. Tradition says that by the weird glare of the lightning a noiseless multitude of phantoms were seen at their strange labor, far up the mountainside, at dead of night, flitting hither and thither, and bearing great lava-blocks clasped in their nerveless fingers, appearing and disappearing as the pallid luster fell upon their forms, and faded away again. Even to this day, it is said, the natives hold this dread structure in awe and reverence, and will not pass by it in the night. At noon I observed a bevy of nude native young ladies bathing in the sea, and went and sat down on their clothes, to keep them from being stolen. I begged them to come out, for the sea was rising, and I was satisfied that they were running some risk. But they were not afraid, and presently went on with their sport. 
they were finished swimmers and divers and enjoyed themselves to the last degree they swam races splashed and ducked and tumbled each other about and filled the air with their laughter it is said that the first thing an islander learns is how to swim learning to walk being a matter of smaller consequence comes afterward one hears tales of native men and women swimming ashore from vessels many miles at sea more miles indeed than i dare vouch for or even mention and they tell of a native diver who went down in thirty or forty foot waters and brought up an anvil i think he swallowed the anvil afterwards if my memory serves me however i will not urge this point i have spoken several times of the god lono i may as well furnish two or three sentences concerning him the idol the natives worshipped for him was a slender unornamented staff twelve feet long tradition says he was a favorite god on the island of hawaii a great king who had been deified for meritorious services just our own fashion of rewarding heroes with the difference that uh, we would have made him a postmaster instead of a god no doubt in an angry moment he slew his wife a goddess named kaikilani ai remorse of conscience drove him mad and tradition presents us the singular spectacle of a god travelling on the shoulder for in his gnawing grief he wandered about from place to place boxing and wrestling with all whom he met of course this pastime soon lost its novelty inasmuch as it must necessarily have been the case that when so powerful a deity sent a frail human opponent to grass he never came back any more therefore he instituted games called makahiki and ordered that they should be held in his honor and then sailed for foreign lands on a three-cornered raft stating that he would return some day and that was the last of lono he was never seen any more his raft got swamped perhaps but the people always expected his return and thus they were easily led to accept captain cook as the restored god some of the old natives believed cook was lono to the day of their death but many did not for they could not understand how he could die if he was a god only a mile or so from kealakekua bay is a spot of historic interest the place where the last battle was fought for idolatry of course we visited it and came away as wise as most people do who go and gaze upon such mementos of the past when in an unreflective mood while the first missionaries were on their way around the horn the idolatrous customs which had obtained in the island as far back as tradition reached were suddenly broken up old kamehameha i was dead and his son liholiho the new king was a free liver a roistering dissolute fellow and hated the restraints of the ancient taboo his assistant in the government kahumanu the queen dowager was proud and high-spirited and hated the taboo because it restricted the privileges of her sex and degraded all women very nearly to the level of brutes so the case stood liholiho had half a mind to put his foot down kahumanu had a whole mind to badger him into doing it and whiskey did the rest it was probably the rest it was probably the first time whiskey ever prominently figured as an aid to civilization liholiho came up to kailua as drunk as a piper and attended a great feast the determined queen spurred his drunken courage up to a reckless pitch and then while all the multitude stared in blank dismay he moved deliberately forward and sat down with the women they saw him eat from the same vessel with them and were appalled 
terrible moments drifted slowly by and still the king ate still he lived still the lightnings of the insulted gods were withheld then conviction came like a revelation the superstitions of a hundred generations passed from before the people like a cloud and a shout went up the taboo is broken the taboo is broken thus did king liholiho and his dreadful whiskey preach the first sermon and prepare the way for the new gospel that was speeding southward over the waves of the atlantic the taboo broken and destruction failing to follow the awful sacrilege the people with that childlike precipitancy which has always characterized them jumped to the conclusion that their gods were a weak and wretched swindle just as they formerly jumped to the conclusion that captain cook was no god merely because he groaned and promptly killed him without stopping to inquire whether a god might not groan as well as a man if it suited his convenience to do it and satisfied that the idols were powerless to protect themselves they went to work at once and pulled them down hacked them to pieces applied the torch annihilated them the pagan priests were furious and well they might be they had held the fattest offices in the land and now they were beggared they had been great they had stood above the chiefs and now they were vagabonds they raised a revolt they scared a number of people into joining their standard and bekua kalani an ambitious offshoot of royalty was easily persuaded to become their leader in the first skirmish the idolaters triumphed over the royal army sent against them and full of confidence they resolved to march upon kailua the king sent an envoy to try and conciliate them and came very near being an envoy short by the operation the savages not only refused to listen to him but wanted to kill him so the king sent his men forth under major-general kalaimoku and the two hosts met at kuamu the battle was long and fierce men and women fighting side by side as was the custom and when the day was done the rebels were flying in every direction in hopeless panic and idolatry and the taboo were dead in the land the royalists marched gaily home to koailua glorifying the new dispensation there is no power in the gods said they they are a vanity and a lie the army with idols was weak the army without idols was strong and victorious the nation was without a religion the missionary ship arrived in safety shortly afterward timed by providential exactness to meet the emergency and the gospel was planted as in virgin soil. End of chapter 72